if I'm not upholding that commitment and that vow, I feel like I'm not actually honoring our we. I'm not honoring us in the way that I'm right. committed to. Whereas if it was just a commitment to myself, I see myself as a growth-oriented person and it's a lot harder for me to do something that's challenging and hard and uncomfortable if I'm only on my own. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to The Art of We. I'm Krista. And I'm Will Vanderveer. And we are going to talk a little bit on this episode about another agreement that you and I have that has really made a difference in our relationship in such a big way. And it's been such an important agreement for you and I that we, again, made it a vow. It's vow number seven, which is that we commit to always find possibility. So let's first talk about what we mean by committing to always find possibility. Yeah, it's easier said than done. That's the spoiler alert here. But uh, I think we should talk about what it means to see possibility in the first place. Great. So I think there's many aspects to what it means to see possibility. For you and I, in what we're talking about, it's not getting stuck in limited thinking. It's really embracing a growth mindset. It's seeing opportunity inside of challenges, even when they really suck. And it's not allowing ourselves to get stuck in victim mentality. And I think there's even a deeper cut here, which I want to go into with you for a minute. But before I say that, I, if any of you are listening and you're saying, I see possibility in every area of my life and this doesn't relate to me, then yay, good for you guys. That's <laughs> awesome. And I think Will and I would be willing to bet that there's at least one area where you're not seeing possibility, whether it's career or health or relationship or something that you can't attain in your life because... XYZ. Right. It's sort of like easier in some ways to define seeing possibility from defining what not seeing possibility is. And in a way that boils down for me to I can't mm. dot dot dot. I can't because dot dot dot. And as a psychiatrist focusing on childhood trauma, one of the observations I've made on my own personal healing path and also working with my patients is that these early, early experiences define limitations on what we can see for our lives, define who we think we can be, what we think we can do, the kinds of relationships we can have, the kind of career we can have, the amount of joy is safe to experience, and so on and so on and so on. And these limitations get laid down in our unconscious mind. And then we make sure that we never cross that boundary in our lives. So not seeing possibility is not like a shameful thing. It's just a part of our development in terms of understanding who we are and what we can be. And then of course, we bring all those unconscious patterns into our lives, our adult lives, our partnerships and careers. 
Totally. It reminds me when you and I first met, I feel like something about being in relationship early on, maybe it's the, was it oxytocin? What is oxytocin. It? Yeah. Oxytocin that gets really kicked up and super high. And there's almost a way in which in the very beginning of a relationship, it's really easy to see a lot of possibility. Right. Like we can do this and we can do that. And like, mm. woohoo. And like, <laughs> this is who I am now. And, and then as we move on inside of relationship, I think that it's really easy to get back into these unconscious patterns that you're talking about. Yeah. And I know for me that when I am not seeing possibility in a certain area of my life, I know it has an impact on our relationship and what you and I can do together. Yeah. And when I'm stuck and not seeing possibility, it has a big impact on you too. Yeah. And so this is one of the incredible opportunities of deep partnership is having each other's back and seeing before the one who is stuck sees hey, it looks like you're you're working with something over there. Totally. And can we talk about it, you know? I think that's important to point out. You've told me this before, that usually it's the partner who can actually see when the other partner is getting stuck before the stuck partner can see that they're stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of a moment we had early on in our dating when I was embarrassed that you pointed out a blind spot I had. And I said, I want to see the blind spot before you do. And and you said, well, then what am I here for? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was a good moment. Yeah. So we see these limitations in our beliefs come up in every aspect of our lives, every area of life when we pay attention. And the problem, as I see it, just from my lived experience, is that we really have a much harder time seeing our own blind spots when we're on our own or we don't have a commitment with another person to in mutual care and, and love for each other to show that to each other. Totally. Much harder to see. So much harder. And what I know for myself is that having, and maybe this is what you're saying, having the actual commitment with you and a vow, a foundation of our marriage. If I'm not upholding that commitment and that vow, I feel like I'm not actually honoring are we? I'm not honoring us in the way that I'm right. committed to. Whereas if it was just a commitment to myself, I see myself as a growth oriented person. And it's a lot harder for me to do something that's challenging and hard and uncomfortable if I'm only on my own versus if I'm in relationship right? and committed inside of that relationship. Absolutely. It's this um, very potent version of peer accountability. Yes. Right. And much easier to take a stand for the other person you love and yourself than it is to only stand for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And to stand for what I know we can create together if I abide by these vows. Right. Versus if I don't or we don't, then I feel like, what are we doing together? Right. right. Should we share an example of yeah, something? How this has come up? So one example that we've navigated together is around my health. And when I met you, I'd already given up on my trail running and even road biking because I had this persistent pain in my knee, which I couldn't figure out why. And a year or two into our relationship, it started to actually become like a challenge to go upstairs without having knee pain. And for me, because of all the input that I was getting from the doctors and having tried to figure out so many different things, my brain really started to give up around seeing possibility around being able to exercise in the way that I want to and that my body needs to, to feel really good and generative with you. So my brain, it's almost like it had these grooves that were carved around 
it's not possible. I've tried everything. This really sucks. But it would even go deeper than that. It would go to how am I going to feel good in my body? How am I going to feel sexy to you? How am I going to be facing the world if I don't feel in my body the way I want to feel? And I think I did a pretty good of covering it up at times. But I know that the real test of not seeing possibility is that I didn't feel truly and totally myself, like how I know I can feel. Yeah. I think this is such a great example because, you know, when you have an injury that's chronic and it's not completely and totally debilitating, like, you know, you could, you could walk, you could get in and out of the car. I mean, you weren't like limited, limited, but what tends to happen with these injuries is that it, it grabs more and more of your life over time in this insidious way where you're like the frog in the frying pan who, I don't even know if that's actually a thing, but it's a story, right? An <laughs> urban myth that the, the frog won't jump out of the frying pan. Like, and then all of a sudden you look around and you realize like you're incredibly limited all of a sudden. And it's been years that you've been dealing with this thing and you don't even get to have like the runner's high of the endorphins that happen when you trail run and, you know, you get outside and you replenish your system with exposure to nature and like all those things. And then plus you're also in pain. And so the pain signaling further contracts and reinforces this limitation in your thinking and your perspective. And I would say that then all of my other ways of trying to feel more comfort kick in, which aren't actually healthy for me. Like Oh, that sugar that the, you know, I love chocolate. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like I grab the things that have me feel more comfortable, sure. but then actually have me feel much worse. And a substitute. So yeah, a substitute for it. And then it's kind of a slow spiral down to not, and again, I use the word generativity because it feels so relevant here. Like I'm not right. generative. Right. We should have a whole episode talking about substitutes that we can go to for actual deepest generativity and deepest satisfaction for our souls and, you know, being on a path to fully express what the seeds are that we hold inside ourselves and all the different ways that we can go to try to feel better when we're not on, on track. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a longer conversation for sure. Yeah. Yeah around the knee. So I stopped seeing possibility. Right. And there was kind of this downward spiral in some ways around right. what we're talking about. Now with this commitment of seeing possibility, I feel like we left the door open. Mm -hmm. And with your background, you had a lot of things to say, maybe this, maybe that. Right. Yeah. I came in with this kind of physician perspective of, wait a second, what's been tried? You know, what are, what's the first thing you do for a knee like this? What's the second? What's the third thing? And when we got to the end of that, we ended up having a conversation with a, a dear friend of ours who's an expert in functional medicine. And she said, well, I know this guy who's doing this crazy stuff for knees like this and nothing I'd heard of before. Yes. So she had this recommendation and even with the recommendation, I was like, yeah, right. We'll see kind of mentality, but I was still willing to try and you and I were willing to try. And we had this meeting with this doctor that she recommended and he had a whole other theory about what was going on with my knee. And now I'm doing squats, which I haven't done for probably 10, maybe 12 years. I'm doing things that my body hasn't allowed me to do. And it feels freaking awesome. <laughs> and, and yeah. It, yeah. 
Yeah. And I can, obviously, I get to benefit from your health and joy on being in your body. And, you know, the listeners might not know what a gym rat you were before (laughs) all of this went down and, you know, uh, how much you enjoy working out and how, how big a part of the pleasure of being in a body can be around just being able to be active and do the things you want to do. Totally. And I, you know, my heart also goes out for those things that we can't resolve. That's like the magic trick or the potion or the right doctor, like isn't yet there or haven't found them or can't find them. Or there's a, there's a health issue that can't be resolved. And that's a whole journey in itself. And we get to navigate that in relationship as well as even inside of being challenged. Can we still see opportunity, whether it's like, okay, my leg's not working. What's, what's the opportunity for me here? Mm-hmm. Or right. this really shitty thing happened in my career or I got fired. It's like, what's the opportunity here versus just getting stuck in, yeah, I'm fucked and I don't want to dig out of my hole. Yeah. And there are situations where, you know, people really are fucked and they have a, a terminal condition, but it's really shocking. I mean, I'm just going to get on my so bugs here for one minute about the practice of medicine. It's shocking to me how many people are told by doctors, you just have to learn how to cope with this. Mm. Uh, it's never going to get better. And or here's a medication that might stave this off for a little bit longer. I'm not talking about the terminal conditions. You know, those are real. I mean, people have get cancer and there's no answer for some kinds of cancer. But I'm talking about people like like you who had a knee issue and you you know, it's like, well, we've done everything we can do. And as a psychiatrist, you know, how many people came to my practice having been told over and over and over again, you're bipolar, you know, you're going to be on meds for the rest of your life. There's no other option. And frankly, it's just incredibly toxic and defeating to communicate to that to someone, number one. Number two, it's not true. Mm. It's not true that because you, doctor, don't have an answer doesn't mean there isn't one. Exactly. And it's just, it's so frustrating for me that that's still going on. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Okay. I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's come back around to getting stuck and not seeing possibility in relationship and what that does for a relationship. And I think for me, the place to start there is this beautiful teaching that I learned from Stan Tack in one of his books around the physiology of the brain. And you were talking earlier about the oxytocin of just being high on the infatuation of the beginning of the dating. Yeah. You know, it's so fun and yeah. so juicy. And Stan Tacken would say that there's this massive amount of energetic cost to that state. It's not sustainable. 
to be in that infatuation or that falling in love state. Mm -hmm. It goes on for a while. It's a great ride. It's super fun. And it's not to say that what comes next needs to be anything less than that. It's different. But what the brain does is it needs to conserve energy because there's too much energy output going on there. And if you've ever been in that experience, like I was with you five years ago, you know, there's less sleep. Uh, We were not sleeping at all. (laughs) It was crazy how much we were not sleeping. That was nuts. Yeah, that was intense. And and my therapist was like, man, you got to start sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) She prescribed us, uh, what was it? Dates with... Yeah, what was it? It was like dates with peanut butter or something, something or like almond that. butter. It was almond a, butter. Yeah, to take yeah. those at nighttime. I think it helped, strangely <laughs> yeah, enough. Grounding. But yeah, she was like, you guys got to do something. Yeah. So as we begin to come down off of that high, our natural tendency is to unconsciously start to automate our partner. And what that means is, I, now I know what Krista's going to do next. Now I know what she's thinking. I already know. I look at her face and I see that expression. I know exactly what that means. And so these automatic unconscious thinking patterns essentially can become what we would call a filter for the other person. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure the audience can relate to having an automatic idea about another person, whether it's their lover or their parent. Parents are great for this. Teammates. (laughs) Teammates. Business partner. Co-founder. Yeah. Yeah. So you could say that resting on your preconceived ideas about the other person is a form of laziness, but I think that's a little too judgmental and it misses the reality that the brain needs to conserve that energy in order to go out and look for novelty, look for new opportunities, right? Because that's what all of this high energy endeavor is about is looking for opportunities in the world. So we automate as much as we can so we can then go out and spend some energy to look for novelty. So what does it feel like in our relationship when I come with, oh, I know what Krista's thinking or I know what she's... (laughs) (laughs) I know what that look means. And we both do this and it just keeps us in a plateau. Like we plateau, I would say. Right. When I have the feeling that you're automating me, meaning like you already know me, Yeah. Or you look at me and you think that I'm experiencing something and you just keep going on with life as though that's the case. I feel as my partner, as my husband, especially, but also out in the world, I feel this. I feel angry at times. I feel sad. I feel trapped. I feel not known. It's almost like the possibility conversation is much harder to have when we're automating each other. Absolutely. I mean, we're not embracing possibility when we're automating each other. And that's where it gets really interesting when we have this commitment to go find possibility. It's sort of like we're, we're pulling ourselves up out of this automatic physiology. Yeah. And we actually have to invest energy to choose to get our energy out of these ruts yeah. of thinking. Totally. And for me personally, and I think I, I know this is true for a lot of people too, it's like, those ruts of thinking are usually not positive thoughts. They're usually negative thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Right. Right. It's like I've fallen into that victim position. Right. It's like the world is against me. 
nothing fun is going to happen <laughs> from <laughs> this situation. This is how she's yeah. going to respond. Yeah. It's not going to be great. Yeah, I'm burdened again. Totally. Yeah. So let's talk then about ways that we can get out of that rut and help us see more possibilities. So you brought up one, which is being in partnership right. and having this agreement together. We can actually challenge each other. Like, hey, it seems like you're not really seeing possibility here. Let's talk about that. Are you open to that? Right. So that's one way. Right. And then I would say that there's other ways. Like for me, when I am consistently meditating or have a strong meditative practice, I can see beyond my limited thinking. Right. Right. That was um, a way of meditating that I had not experienced before I met you is this practice of looking deeper beyond thought and opinion and seeing what's there under that. And again, another conversation for another episode, but a beautiful way to open your mind to possibilities. It's almost like yoga for your mind, like keeping it flexible so that possibilities are easier to access. And I'll just credit Junpo, Dennis Kelly, Roshi, and Lloyd Fickett, who are both mentors for me around meditation practice. And the just to drop it in here, the the koan was really, is there a listening that's deeper than thought or opinion? And when you ask, when I sit and ask myself that question, I go into a different level of listening that helps me see possibility. So that's been one way that's been really awesome for us. Mm, beautiful. Journaling really helps when I actually ask myself questions and, or you ask me questions and we actually get in there without attachment to what's actually going on. Conversation coaching or therapy, but I would also want to bring in psychedelic therapy. Right. Cause that's been such a big part of your journey and right now our lives. I would love to hear a little bit if you would share about why that's such a potent methodology for seeing possibility. Right. Boy, it's fun to talk about this. So I try to keep it succinct. Well, I think it starts with looking at earlier, I was talking about early childhood trauma and the patterning and the limitations and beliefs and possibilities for our lives. And we all live on this spectrum of mental health and wellness versus mental illness at the other end of the spectrum. And it's a gradient from one end to the other. And for folks who have experienced really severe depression or PTSD, you know what I'm talking about, that there's very little ability to get beyond your thinking or get beyond your experience of your condition. So psychedelic therapy offers a brief chemical. It's like a chiropractic adjustment for your mind. It's like a chemical opportunity where you can, what we saw in our participants in our MDMA research that we did here in Boulder some years ago, is a very common refrain was, I can now see the forest for the trees. I'm not lost in the forest anymore. It was really remarkable how people would say that in different ways, in their own words, because these ruts that we were talking about and thinking get opened up. And uh, there's a metaphor that came out of the psilocybin work at Johns Hopkins of a fresh coat of snow on the hill where you now can make your own tracks down the mountain. It's like creating the new grooves exactly. in your brain and the pathways in the brain. Exactly. And there's this network that's involved in our unconscious thinking that is influenced by early childhood experience that can be very difficult to find one's way out of without psychedelic therapy. And that's the default um, mode network. Right. So the default mode network in 
ordinary folks or so to speak healthy people who don't have a lot of trauma or depression or other problems really amounts to daydreaming. It's like what your mind does when you're not on task with trying to do something. But for people like myself or others with substantial trauma from childhood, the darkness in those ruts is deep mm. and it's really hard to get out without a lot of help. So we've seen in brain scans with psychedelic therapy that the disruption in that network is real and it opens up possibilities for other thinking patterns to arise. And then of course, after the psychedelic therapy experience, there's a tremendous amount of work that is needed to be done to make these changes real and long lasting. Yeah. Integration. Yeah, exactly. So the good news is that more of these substances are on the way to getting legalized for use inside of clinical environments. And so we're just super psyched about where we are in time with that and history. And thanks to you and Keith, our business partner, for just really standing so strongly for that possibility for healing so much using these methodologies. Thank you. Well, yeah. yeah, and thanks to the, the elders and mentors in this work, including uh, indigenous leaders for millennia in working with these medicines to help people get well. So short of psychedelics, I think that there's also, it's important to mention that there are important things you can do for your ability to see possibilities that just make it easier. And I'm talking about things that reduce uh, stress and inflammation in the body. So obviously eating a lot of sugar is not great for, (laughs) it's too much. (laughs) Why don't we go into that in the next episode? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. We've got the doctor in his seat over here. Okay. But we'll go into that in the next episode is talking about anxiety and, and stress and how we can, what things we can do to really help that because it does impact relationships so much. But before we do wrap up, I do, I quickly want to talk about relationships outside of the partnership. Like for example, friendships, if we're not seeing possibility or team members, if they were awesome and then all of a sudden in our heads we're being like, oh man, I just don't know if this person's going to last or, you know, whatever is like, what are we going right. to do about this person? They're a pain in the ass. Whatever the conversation is or gosh, like that friendship, you know, I just don't know about that friendship anymore. The invitation here that I want to offer all of us is to really look deeply to, to ask ourselves, have we actually addressed this with the person? Right. Are we in our own ruts and our own pathways in our brain about what we're making up the story or filters about this person, or are we actually bringing it to this person and addressing it with them? Because I know in in all the different ways, there is so much more possibility that happens when we're actually having real conversations with people about this. And in my work inside of companies, over and over again, I hear management or executives say things about the person, they're not gonna work out, they haven't done this, they haven't done that. And then when I really dig in with them, They maybe have had a conversation or two about it, but they haven't actually gone to a really straight conversation with the person of what's actually going on. It's almost like they hold themselves back from telling the truth or what's actually the impact. And they maybe mention it in a side comment, and then they have the expectation that things are going to change. Right. And it's unusual for people in work settings to have even one conversation with the person that they have a big fat story about that they're telling all their coworkers about you totally. know, and complaining. And, and it's really quite amazing how deep these stories can be about that a person is just how they are. Yeah. And 
you know, how did we become who we are is a lot of it is from feedback from other people who cared about us. Right. right? <laughs> and how horrible is it to imagine that people are walking around us being like, well, they're just that way versus actually addressing with us. I mean, Awful. that would just be horrible. So, so the invitation here is to look around, look at your partnership, look at your relationships, look deeply in yourself at your, whatever is most important to you, your career, your health, your kids, and really look to see where do you feel contracted and collapsed and not seeing possibility. And we invite you to look and possibly use some of these things that we mentioned here to get support. Yeah. And, you know, as you just mentioned, one of the most powerful things you can do is look at your, what your filters are about the other person and have the courage to bring that to the other person. Totally. And, and it's scary. It can be very scary. It's really scary. It's hard. And there are ways to set that up where it can go better than other ways. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Like I'm really standing for our relationship here and I really care about you. And I've noticed that there's something that comes up for me. Right. Are you open to talking about this thing that's coming up for me and so we can try to resolve it? Right. Or like the other day, one of my friends is going through a really hard time and I needed to tell him like I'm really bored mm -hmm. with hearing your story about how hard it is. Like, yeah, that was hard. <laughs> that was really hard. That was hard. And I want to say you have a long relationship with this right. person. So it's like you guys can say that to each other without him being like, fuck off. <laughs> so. Yeah, longer than 20 years in friendship. But yeah. But but that's awesome that you guys can do that, which is great. And it's had, you've put in reps, so you can do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we really hope that you enjoyed this episode. And uh, next time we will get more into anxiety and stress and ways to make this process of seeing possibility easier. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.